Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back into the Bama Bee Podcast. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Nick Kelly. Nick, how was your 4th of July weekend, brother? Oh, man, it was great. Got to head down to the Gulf Shores and, and just see what uh, Alabama has to offer the 4th. And, yeah, it was, it was a good time. How about you? Uh, it was great. Uh, didn't really do a whole lot. Um, girlfriend had family over. Uh, you know, her cousin just got engaged, so they came over to see the entire family, and her aunt decided to kind of make it a, a family reunion of sorts. So we spent Saturday doing that Sunday after all that stuff, just preparing and, and entertaining and stuff for an entire day. Didn't really feel like doing a whole lot, to be quite <laughs> honest. Uh, brother kept trying to get me to come over and hang out with some friends and just wasn't about that action. Um, but, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, we were actually talking before we hopped on uh, to record and first experience done in Gulf Shores. Your parents got to come see Tuscaloosa. Um, so the first time being in Alabama, is, is everything in black and white like they paint it? <laughs> not, not quite it's uh it's just interesting just because seeing their experience after i had kind of gone through a similar experience having grown up in the midwest and, and just seeing a completely different environment but um i really think they like myself uh kind of really like the south uh they're just what alabama has to offer and uh just, just even the the drive-in i mean something that they were just kind of in awe of and and took them to dreamlands. I got to experience some, some of that barbecue for the first time and, and had some banana pudding for the first time, which is a new thing for me too. Cause we just don't have it that much of it up, really? up in the Midwest. No. Uh, and my mom really was just like, no, I'd rather not it. Like I'd rather have something kind of, you know, kind of chocolatey. And, and I said, no, just try the banana pudding, like just give it a shot. And she was so glad she did as was I, when I first had it. That's awesome. Um, you know, it, First of all, any time that I hear about somebody actually coming down and visiting the South or Alabama uh, for the first time, that's always the reaction I get. Uh, someone that I met in college and dated for a while, <clears throat> her family was from Baltimore, had a very specific view of the way Al they thought Alabama was, and they came down, and, and she ended up going to the college that I went to, which was Birmingham Southern, because they fell in love with the area. They fell in love with Alabama, so much so that her mom now lives in the South, too. They ended up moving. Really? Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it, it makes an impression on people. And, and yes, Art did have a point when he said that there's not a whole lot to do in Tuscaloosa if you're not a, you know, uh, you know partying college student. But the same time it's beautiful the people are great so i'm glad that your parents got to experience that i'm glad glad you're getting to experience that and uh now it's time to talk a little alabama football we got the name image and likeness stuff going through we got uh, a position breakdown with the outside linebackers happening today so a couple of topics we won't try to take up too much of people's time uh but you know just Initial thoughts on the uh, NIL finally going through. College athletes are getting paid. Man, that, that night before felt like New Year's Eve. <laughs> it really did, didn't it? It just – like I even stayed up. I mean, I, I don't know. I should have probably just gone to bed. But I was just so interest, interested to see what would happen. And we did see some deals. 
early on, not as many for Alabama football, but just a few for across the country. And so it was just kind of this fun energy to see, hey, this is a new era of college football. And what, what's it going to look like? Just just the the fan of, of just college football in people has to be at least intrigued, even if no matter how you feel about it, just to see what this looks like. I mean, it's change is something different. And we'll see what kind of impact it has. But but I think in the, the immediate future, it's already going to have a very positive impact for several of these athletes who have not been able to profit off their name, image and likeness in the past. And for a lot of these guys, yeah, so – for the, the superstars who are going to the NFL, they're going to get more money. Like they have more in their future. Who knows how long that future is, as they say, the NFL is not for long. But for these guys who maybe don't have an NFL future or maybe don't have a long-term future in football, this is their chance to really take in some some money for what they've done successfully in the field. And so I think there's a lot of positive that can come from that. And of course, there's going to be negatives. There's going to be some bad things. There are going to be some some companies that maybe aren't the best. Or just there's going to be some issues. Just anything on this scale is going to see some issues. But I think overall, there's going to be a lot of positive that comes from this. Completely agree. And and, and I've kind of that's been my driving point um, with this entire thing. There are going to be some unintended consequences. But I think the big thing that scares most fans and the reason they're so upset about it is because they've come to love the product that college football provides and they're now uncertain of how much of that product and the way that we see it today is going to be preserved based off of this you know uh, I remember talking to Nick Saban when I was going through the recruiting process and, and my best friend from high school William Ming who played at Alabama back when Saban first got to to Tuscaloosa I remember us sitting in, in Saban's office and talking to him about it. And he said one of the things that he loved about college football compared to, you know, being with the Miami Dolphins when he was in the NFL is he felt like that every day there was another player in his office asking for more money. Um, and that was the concern that, you know, guys felt disrespected because they felt like they were a top five defensive back in the NFL and they weren't getting paid like one. Or, you know, and, and of course, a couple of years passes, some more defensive backs get, you know, re-signed. Even if you did take care of your guy, now he's dropped out of the top five again. He's still unhappy and he wants a new contract. So it's just – and he was constantly having to reiterate, that's not my job. That's the general manager's job. Uh, you need to be talking to him about it. My job is to coach you on the football field. But they just had more access to Coach Saban than they did, you know, uh, whoever the general manager was at the time. I, I don't really know who it was. But point being is, is you know, his, his point at the time – you know, William was just going to be getting to Alabama to play and, you know, had not established himself. Mark Ingram was already starting to become, you know, one of the the top, um, you know, running back, emerging running backs in the country. He hadn't won the Heisman yet. That was going to come the following year. But, you know, Coach Saban's point was it doesn't matter what Mark Ingram has done in the past. Um, you're going to be getting the same thing that Mark does when you come here, which is a scholarship. And he's like that. You completely eliminate any of the I want more. Now, granted, that's still going to be preserved in some way because the colleges or, or, or Nick Saban does not control what a player gets paid. That's all dependent upon market value and what companies are willing to pay you. So, but at the same time, it's just when you throw money into the mix, that's going to make fan bases uh, a little skeptical that they're going to be able to, to preserve what has become, in a lot of people's opinion, the greatest sport uh, you know, in the world that we see today, at least people in the Southeast are certainly going to uh, agree to that as far as college football compared to the NFL or baseball or basketball or whatever else. But the other aspect, I wanted to also get your thoughts on the 
you know, potential, you know, benefits of this. Not only is it going to be players who were, you know, able to take care of themselves and kind of build for a little bit of a future for themselves, regardless of what happens. You know, we've seen tons of guys, you know, Kenneth Darby was a seventh round draft pick, um, didn't stick around in the NFL for very long. Jeffrey Pagan decided to leave early, uh, a defensive lineman for Alabama, ended up not panning out in the NFL, you know, the and those guys, you know, if they would have had the ability to capitalize while they were superstars at Alabama, they would have been able to set themselves up a lot more nicely uh, for as far as their future is concerned. But one potential benefit here, at least in my mind, um, because I'm always one of those people that's looking for the positives or try to at least, now that you have the ability to make money in college and you're making substantial money, I know that there have been guys in the past um, who have needed to take care of their family, not wanted to take care of their family, needed to because as a college athlete you don't have the time uh, or the ability to go out and get you know a nine to five job or some kind of side job to be able to help you know if your family's struggling at home if, if you already have a kid or two that you're trying to provide for you don't have the ability to financially take care of them like you need to be able to you get a lot of guys Peyton Barber for Auburn was one you know uh, Mac Wilson I remember him talking about wanting to take care of his family you know Deontay Thompson Ronnie Harrison Tons of guys who might have chose to come back to Alabama but ultimately chose to leave for the NFL because they felt like they had to get money now, even if they felt like they were going to drop. Now, Deontay Thompson and Mac Wilson, I don't think those guys realized they were going to drop all the way to the fifth round or anything, but Peyton Barber's one who knew he was going to be a late-round draft pick, but he specifically wanted to leave college because he felt like, I can't afford to sit around and wait another year to be able to provide for my family. I'll take my chances. I'll go you know, if I could just make a little bit of money uh, and, and stick around for a couple of years, which he has done, then I'll be able to provide. Um, but, you know, if he would have returned to Auburn and been able to make money, maybe he would have chose a different path. So do you think that with this new NIL thing in place, you might end up, not all of them, there's still going to be that percentage of guys who feel like they can go on to, you know, they can already hack it in the NFL even if they end up being wrong. But do you think that at least a small percentage of guys who maybe would have felt the pressure to leave early would choose to come back, which will actually help the college game? Yeah. If I pretend I know the answer to that, then I'd be looking at crystal ball or something. And, I, <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't know. And that's what's I think what makes it so interesting is we don't know what's going to happen. But to me, I think that maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe guys are more willing to stay longer, but maybe you see that more in the NBA or with basketball than you would the NFL, because to be honest, three versus four years kind of thing, it's not drastic, but one versus three years or, you know, one versus four years for, for guys going into the NBA, then that's a different story. But for football, at least we might see a guy stay a little longer, but I don't know that we're going to see deals through NIL that are not, that are significant, that are, big money, so to speak. Like, I think we'll see some, we'll see more and more deals that have, okay, there's, there's a few dollars here, a few dollars there, but unless you're a, a superstar in college football, you're probably not going to be signing a, a six figure kind of deal uh, for, through your name, image, and likeness. And so of course we got to see how that plays out, but I don't know that it's going to be significant enough money to say, Hey, look, these guys are projecting you to be a second round or first round draft pick. You're not probably, you're going to get a lot more money doing that than you would most likely through NIL. But then again, it's, it's, it's just hard to know. I mean, it really is hard to know what kind of contracts these guys are going to get and if that really de deters them from going to the NFL earlier. But I, but I think it just comes down to what, what their needs are. 
if it's someone who really needs to help supply for their, provide for their family or just help back home or whatever it might be, that's going to motivate them. And that's going to control a lot of what they do. But then again, we don't know how that's going to play out. And I think it just, yeah, it's just going to be so fascinating to see if this really does influence decisions and how things change. Because right now there's such the energy of, Hey, you know, these guys can capitalize now. Like there's, there's opportunities and, and you see, you know, deals left and right. If you really look at it, a lot of these deals don't, aren't that substantial. They're not that significant. And so that we're not, again, we're seeing a few guys sign these really big deals. You know, Bryce Young signed with CAA, which is a huge sports agency, huge agency in general to help with his NIL deals. But for a lot of the guys, these aren't necessarily going to be big buck deals. And I think you're 100% right. Um, you know, when it comes to guys, you know, Kenneth Darby is one that kind of just stands out in my mind. Now, granted, um, he didn't leave early or anything. He, he exhausted his eligibility. But, you know, let's say he was a junior and he was coming off a productive year and he chose to leave early for the NFL. You fall to being a seventh-round pick. You know, your chances of making the roster and sticking around long-term in the NFL, you know, diminish significantly um, if you – uh, and and if you're a superstar running back at Alabama, which at the time Alabama didn't have the, the the national prominence that it does now, now that Nick Saban has returned and they're winning national championships and stuff, but for some of these guys who have been you know projected to be you know mid to late round picks, um, you know you're getting so you're still getting that full scholarship. You're still working towards completing your education. You got a free place to live. You got free meals. If if you're if you've got multiple places throwing you money, um, I know the Miami football team just signed with, uh, you know, I forget the name of it. It's, it's the ATT. It's not AT and T. It's a uh, I, I I don't even know some kind of MMA fighting thing. But they just signed the entire Miami roster, all 90 scholarship players this year to individual NIL contracts. And I think it's worth up to $6,000. So you're absolutely right. Not significant money, but when you start, you know, putting two or three of these together, um, and, and I think that we're also starting small. They don't want to get too outlandish and crazy in the beginning, but signing with an agency and having them negotiating on your behalf, I think we slowly start to see those contracts and what people are actually signing for increase. So they're going to be making, you know, millions, uh, you know, doing this. I doubt it. Maybe some, at some point the superstars, you know, the top tier, the Trevor Lawrence's, the Tua Tungvaloa's, the Joe Burrow's, maybe at some point those guys are signing for that. I, I don't know. I think you're completely right. None of us know. But I do think that it may be if you can get enough money on top of the free room and board and, and free meals and all that stuff, enough to be able to, A, take care of your family if you need to, uh, but B, you know, and enjoy, you know, living the life. If you want to get yourself a Dodge Charger, you don't have to worry about a booster paying for it now. Um, <laughs> you can just go out and buy your own. If, if you get enough, you know, you get a few of these, you can go get yourself a car or have money to take your girlfriend out or, you know, just it, enjoy being a college student a lot more. Um, I think that that will be appealing to some guys, but I 100% think you're right. I think that the money, if you're projected to be a second round pick and you're okay with that, you know, I don't know. It, there have been guys who have proje been projected to be second-round guys who chose to come back to try to become first-round guys. You know, Nick Saban's been able to convince them, hey, we feel like long-term you could, you know, increase your draft stock and increase, you know, uh, your your that first wave of contract that you'll end up signing. But, you know, now that you have money involved already and that kid can say, well, you know, I'm able to take care of my family. I'm able to enjoy things. Yeah, I'll make 50000 this year, this next year, instead of going to make hundreds of thousands or, you know, signing, getting a million dollar signing bonus or whatever. 
who knows what will happen. Maybe some of those guys will end up being convinced, but it is a potential benefit um, for, for at least some of these guys. Uh, so, you know. Yeah, well, you mentioned the, the guy who's the, the mid to late round pick guy. I think that's the, that's the guy who's most impacted by this. And I think that people need to keep in mind when they think about this because our, our natural tendency is to think of the, the guys who are, like you said, the Joe Burrows, the, the Trevor Lawrences, who are going to be signing big deals and, and, and companies are going to want to try to have promoting their products. But the people who really are helped by this are those guys who probably don't have an NFL future. And they're the ones who could have a shot at the league, could have a long career, who knows. But yes, they're getting scholarships, they're, they're getting room board paid for, you know, they're, they're getting college education, no doubt. But once that's over, they're starting from square one. And, and because, of, because of college football, they have this, this stage and this spotlight that they can really profit from. And, and so I think that it, it's something where for these guys who are, you know, are good players but aren't necessarily going to play at the next level, if they sign a few NIL deals, they could have $10,000, $20,000 right when they get out of school to be able to, you know, put a down payment down in the house or to, to you know, to, to start equity. I mean, just there's a lot of good things that can come from it. And so, I, yes, the overall product of college football could change a bit. And, and then in a arena where tradition is so huge, especially in the Southeastern Conference, change, change is not always met with, with a lot of, uh, let's just say, warm hugs or just people being overly welcoming. But I think that even if there is slight change because of, of money being involved, I just feel like the overall benefit to guys who give so much of their time and their energy and people, people get so much joy from watching and cheering for them. And then after those four or five years, they're just done and they have basically no money to their name because they haven't been working a full-time job or something. I, I think they deserve to have some kind of benefit from that. And so I think that, yes, there could be slight change in the overall product, but I think that there's – important benefits to the players who necessarily aren't going to have 10-year NFL careers. Yes, absolutely. And there's that uh, current Penn State commitment who I think they said he's going to go ahead and get a head start on his clothing company that he's wanting to, to start. Now, here's the thing. You know, when do you think Kenneth Darby, since that, that's the example we're using, when do you think he could have maximized, you know, his name? And, 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 you know, of course, when he was in the NFL for that short period, that would have been a nice time to do it, but it was a very small window. But while he is one of the bigger names in college football as far as being a running back, that's your time to capitalize. So this Penn State player, whoever it is, I don't know what his name is, but I just, you know, briefly read an article earlier about him. He's starting a clothing company. And while he's at Penn State, he can now start growing that and profiting off of it. And and now is the time to do it. Because if he gets out of Penn State and he doesn't pan out and he's not an NFL player and his name isn't everywhere anymore, you know, if he hadn't already established that company, you know, you can only do so much um, as far as, you know, what that name used to represent compared to what it will be representing while you're actually there. So there are plenty of benefits to a lot of this stuff. Um and and I have no problem with it. I thought that this has long been overdue. I've had a huge problem with, you know, asking universities to play pay players. I think that's extremely difficult as far as the the stretch beyond, you know, multiple sports. I think if you pay football players, you got to pay, you know, uh, all these other uh, college athletes that you have on your campus, and that becomes extremely difficult based off of the revenue they bring in and stuff like that. So this is a way to allow kids to be able to, 
to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. And now, you know, there's not as much pressure to go and take money illegally. You know, if you're uh, Johnny Manziel going and signing autographs, um, you know, when you're not supposed to, or, or, you know, Terrell Pryor with the tattoos at Ohio State or all these other guys, it just, it, it could eliminate a lot of schools getting in trouble down the line because a young player who didn't have a lot of money got tempted by the wrong people when he made a mistake and it cost the college. You know, Reggie Bush got all his, those victories and Heisman trophies and everything taken away because, you know, him at a very young age made a, you know, mistake that he probably shouldn't have. And, and now to this day, he's still paying for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that this is fun. And, you know, until we get a couple of years into this, it's hard to fully know exactly what the consequences are going to be. But, um, you know, I, I think that this was much needed and it, there's going to be a lot of positives come from this too. Moving okay. on, though to the outside linebackers, you know, now that you're in Tuscaloosa, you're covering Alabama, I guarantee there's the big name guys. I'm sure you've heard the names, you know who they were, but it, getting into the nitty gritty of the roster, um, you know, analysis, I'm sure is still relatively new to you, but you know, we did this last year kind of passes the time, gives people an idea of where Alabama's at with certain positions going into the season, you know, weaknesses if you can even call it that I don't think they have really a weakness on the team necessarily just maybe not as much of a strength as compared to other positions but you know sure. your strengths are uh you know first name that's going to come up Will Anderson I'm sure you've probably heard of him at some point oh yeah I mean what a <laughs> what a fun player to to watch play I mean the fact the guy he was a true freshman and I mean, he just, he didn't, he, one, he didn't look like a true freshman whatsoever, but the guy just has, I mean, there, there's so many elements to his game that just how do you block a guy like that? And poor Florida in, in the SEC championship just looks silly trying to, to defend him with, the, with their, their tackles. I mean, he's just such a just explosive, strong. I mean, he, he really just is a complete package and it'll, it'll be really fun to see how he develops going into year two. Absolutely. And, you know, he's the headliner. Um, he's going to be on preseason all-SEC list, first team, preseason all-American list. You know, that's the guy. And, and what's wild is that going into last year, watching the tape, I was very adamant that I felt like he was going to make a year one impact. But I just, from what I had seen on his high school tape, I didn't see a guy who was ready to, to be a early down run defender, setting the edge. I thought he was going to be more of a situational pass rusher. and I couldn't have been more wrong from the very first, you know, snap of the season for the defense. He was out there and he was making plays. Um, he actually led the outside linebackers and snaps played last year with 646. And just, I thought one of his, you know, biggest strong suits, I thought he was fantastic at setting the edge. I thought he was fantastic at, you know, stopping the run in general. Um, so, you know, he was a complete defender, He's still developing as far as being a pass rusher, but he's already very advanced. And that's the scary part is that he's not a finished product as far as being a pass rusher, but he's already, you know, to me, emerging as one of the top pass rushers in the country. And, and you know, when you start comparing that to some of these other guys, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau from Oregon, um, you know, Zach Harrison from Ohio State, Nick Benito from Oklahoma, um, Drake Jackson from USC, there's got, you know, I could go on and on, but you know, there's a reason that Will Anderson's being listed on the first team All-American list, you know, over a lot of these guys. That people understand what he was this past year for Alabama and they understand what it's, you know, what he's going to be uh, moving forward. And then you got Christopher Allen, 
who to me is the perfect, you know, I don't want to call him Robin to Will Anderson's Batman necessarily, but I think that when you have him as your number two, uh, as far as at least your exterior pass rush is concerned, I think that's very beneficial. If he was getting all the off uh, offense's attention as far as making sure that you're eliminating him from the game plan, I don't think he would be nearly as effective. But you ha- having to give as much attention as you already have to to Will Anderson, you getting the complimentary Christopher Allen and him being kind of the number two guy getting the attention, it makes it a lot easier on him. And it and he's good enough, uh, definitely good enough to still be an impactful player. So just having those two guys out there. Pretty much if Alabama was in any sort of look where they had two, you know, three, four outside linebackers out there, whether, you know, nickel, um, you know, base three, four defense, whatever you want to say, 90, it felt like 99 out of 100 times it was going to be Will Anderson and Chris, uh, uh, Christopher Allen. Yeah, and that's what's great for Alabama's defense is you can't just block one. And you can't, you can't key on one because they have two talented pass rushers and, and just edge defenders. Who can who can set the edge, read and react well. Well, and, and that's the thing with Christopher Allen too. Man, he's just, he's just got a really quick get off. Like he's just a he's just a fast guy. And so you got to go against a speedy guy on one side, and you got a big, strong, powerful, explosive guy in Will Anderson on the other side. You can't. I mean, what what do you do as an offense to to stop those guys? And so it's gonna be really interesting to see how those two do. But I will be. We talk about Will Anderson. He played so well his freshman year, but. A lot of his success is just from him being relentless. And so I'm going to be curious to see if he can add more specific moves to his pass rush arsenal so that he can become an even more dangerous threat on the edge. Absolutely. And and when you start looking at the kind of talent that Alabama lost at outside linebacker, um, on paper, you would think, oh, man, that's substantial. You know, Ben Davis being a former five-star guy, Kevin Harris, you know, uh, top 150 guy, four-star, Drez Parks, top 100 uh, King Wakuda. Uh, I've never fully understood how to pronounce his last name, but I think it's Wakuda. Could be wrong. Um, you know, you, he's now entered the transfer portal, and he's more than likely gone. You are losing four different guys, all extremely talented, coming out of high school, all in the same year at one particular position, and yet Alabama continues to remain absolutely loaded at the position because a you know, you're getting Will Anderson and Christopher Allen back from last year. Those were your two main guys. Your number three, who was kind of the first guy off the bench, and Drew Sanders. He's going to be coming back, even though there were some rumors of him potentially wanting to transfer. I think those ended up being false. But you got Chris Braswell, who showed some fantastic things uh, back during the spring. Three sacks and a forced fumble that I think uh, Jalen Moody returned for a touchdown. So I think that he's certainly ready. I think Nick Saban – uh, specifically mentioned him and said that he had a much better grasp of the defense this year and you know said that he's going to add depth but also specifically said with his pass rushing ability that he feels like he's going to be a guy that they try to find a role for you know this upcoming season you know he's got explosion he's got bend he's not overly big only 220 pounds but you know you got him you got Q Robinson you got the two uh, talented true freshmen including five-star Dallas Turner just even though they lost all that talent, they're absolutely loaded at the spot heading into this year. And to me, it's still one of the biggest strengths on this Alabama defense and maybe even this Alabama football team. Yeah, that's the thing. If Will Anderson and Chris Allen stay healthy, they're going to be in a fantastic spot all season. Now, of course, if, if they can't stay healthy, that's where things can get a little tricky. But like you said, they have depth, even though they lost guys. And someone like Drew Sanders, I mean, he, he's just someone – 
he was a fascinating player because he was just a high school athlete. He was a guy who played all over. I mean, tight end, receiver, quarterback, I even think. I mean, the guy just did all kinds of things outside of being a, a guy who can play on the edge. And so, so you have some athletic guys in their depth chart, and you have capable guys. And so it's a matter of make sure they can continue to, to develop while you also have just studs in the starting spots and and that's the thing the linebacker position as a whole I mean they're in a really good spot and I think it's not far off to say this might be the best linebacking core in the country especially now that they got Henry Toto to come in from Tennessee to likely start next to Christian Harris and of course he's gonna battle it out in the middle in in camp but they've got depth they've got experience and and what more can you really ask for because a linebacking core is so crucial to the success of a defense. Absolutely. And Drew Sanders, I was kind of surprised that he was that kind of number three guy. Uh, and it's not because of, of his talent. It's just he had focused on so much, you know, playing some wide receiver, some tight end, some off-ball linebacker, some stand-up defensive end, you know, putting his hand in the dirt, um, did some Wildcat quarterback stuff. He just did so many things for his high school team that I thought, you know, th there's a reason that this guy was a five-star prospect, you know, 6'5", 235 pounds, you know, had the size, had the length. But I just felt like, you know, now that he will get to focus in on one position, it might take him a little bit of time to be able to learn to do that position at a very high level. And so, you know, seeing him, which he didn't get a ton of snaps last year, uh, I, I want to say that he only got like roughly about 50 or so, which isn't a lot. But I mean, that was the third most amongst the outside linebackers. You know, he was the first guy off the bench. Um, you know, if it wasn't Christopher Allen and Will Anderson Jr., it was going to be Drew Sanders. And for me, that was just somewhat surprising, um, you know, just for year one. But, you know, Chris Braswell, he didn't end up making the, the year one contribution that a lot of people maybe thought that he would. But he's – I think he's ready to take that next step now. And I think he's figuring out, you know, if you don't know – if the coaching staff at Alabama can't trust you to do your job – on every snap that you're out there, you're not going to be out there. It is very important for them. It's not just being ultra talented. It's doing your job consistently at a high level. And if you can't maintain and do that, then you're not going to play. And I just think that with, you know, Chris Braswell needing to figure some things out defensively and, and requirements and, and things like that, he just uh, last year was kind of a, a redshirt year from him. And now I think he's ready to take that next step. The, the problem is, is Alabama's already loaded at, at that spot. And so he could still potentially be the, the number four guy on the depth chart when, you know, a lot of places he might be ready to start this upcoming year. But at the same time, I could also see him pushing Drew Sanders for, you know, snaps as being that first guy off the bench. And, and you know, this doesn't even include, you know, like I said, Q Robinson, top 100 guy, highly rated four-star out of Birmingham. You know, Dallas Turner, five-star guy, top 10 prospect in this uh, 2021 recruiting class. You know, interesting guy to me just because he came in way bigger. Uh, you know, I was kind of going back and looking a little bit at all the outside linebackers or edge players that Alabama has signed, you know, in the past several years since Alabama got away from that Courtney Upshaw type of build where guys are coming in at, you know, 260 pounds being an edge setting, you know, early down uh, edge player. Um you know, but him being 245, you know, Kanu Coat, who is coming into this class as well, he's another guy, 215 pounds. Um, you know, Will Anderson last year was coming in at 230, Chris Braswell, 220, Drew Sanders, 232. You know, uh, Q 
Q Robinson, 217. The year before, guys were sitting at 228 and 235 and 236. Really, I just think that it's very interesting that Dallas Turner already has the type of, you know, he's already got the length, but he's also got the the mass. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if when he gets to Alabama, they shed some of that weight, um, you know, the, the, the stuff, you know, when they get you on the correct diet and all that stuff. Start getting hit. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he played this year at 235, you know, or 238 or something like that. You know, you drop seven to 10 pounds, wouldn't shock me at all. But just being 245 already, I thought was, you know, pretty standoutish uh, compared to some of these other guys. And it makes you wonder because from what I've seen on tape, extremely explosive off the snap. You know, he's got advanced hand usage, in my opinion, especially for his age, quick, violent hands, love his motor, love his energy. Um, and he's, he's pretty comfortable dropping into coverage. And so there wasn't a whole lot that I saw on his high school tape that would say, okay, this guy is going to need some time to develop. I think he could contribute from, from day one. The problem is, is yet again, the loaded depth chart in front of him. Yeah, and then that's the, that's the biggest thing. If you're a coach, you love the competition because you're going to have some good players rise above it. And then luckily we don't have to decide who, who's going to play <laughs> in these spots. <laughs> Man, it, it, it would not be an easy decision. And that's what's again, wild is that these aren't even for starting spots because we pretty much know it's Will Anderson and Chris Allen, but Absolutely. for these backup spots. And now, of course, again, the, the big asterisk always is there could be injuries and there could be needed depth. But frankly, like even just to give some of these guys a breather occasionally is valuable so they can be at their, their best late in games in fourth quarters when, when they need them at their best. And so, yeah, if you're Alabama, you're, you're excited about this depth. Even, even when they've lost guys, they still have depth, which I, I just feel like – is what Alabama is all about is it's always that next man up and they always have just plenty of, of talent to work with. Yeah. And, and it's like that, like a, a ton of positions, you know, running back being the other one, it's like last year, you know, you look at, you know, former top running back, Trey Sanders coming back from an injury. You look at the fact they had Brian Robinson on the roster. You look at the fact that they signed three running backs, two of which were, you know, top 100 prospects, top eight running backs in the 2020 recruiting class. You know, you look at Keelan Robinson, who we didn't know at the time was going to be opting out. But, um, you know, you, you saw what he did as a true freshman and thought, OK, he's going to be involved, uh, you know, in the mix. And then you look at Najee Harris and you say, OK, I mean, how do you not get this depth on the field? But then you look at Najee and you say, how can you take this guy off the field? It's the same concept with the outside linebackers. As much as you want to say, how do you not get uh, Chris Braswell, now that he's developing into a quality player, or Drew Sanders, who was a former five-star who saw some action, ready to take the next step, or Dallas Turner, who's ready to be you know, a day-one contributor. How do you not put those guys on the field? But then you look at who you're going to have to take off the field in order to get them on it, and you say, I mean, you can't take those guys off. You know, Last year, they did a fantastic job of virtually playing you know, a significant majority of the snaps, and why would you, you know, if there's going to be some kind of drop off from Will Anderson to the guy, you know, next guy, which there's going to be, I don't care how talented these guys are, at least right now, there's going to be at least some level of drop off outside of just getting Will Anderson, you know, some breaks here or there. What's, you know, why would you do that? Um, and so it, it's a problem that I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. Now, it's a good problem to have. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, the coaching staff figuring out, okay, who's going to get reps and where, because you also got to keep these guys happy, right? Um, you know, especially now that they can profit off their name, image, and likeness. If you're, you know, one of these depth guys, and I'm not speaking for them specifically, I'm just using them as an example of, uh, you know, potential uh, 
thoughts that could be going on in their head. If you're Chris Braswell, you're like, man, you know, I can really start making a lot better money when I become a starter and I'm not getting to start here at Alabama and I'm not getting, you know, it's all about Will Anderson Jr. And if it's not about him, it's about Christopher Allen and I want to be the guy you know, to, to, you know, be compensated and be the superstar or whatever. I don't know how much that'll factor in, but it could. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is, is, is Alabama is loaded from top to bottom. You know, Keanu Coat is one of those guys, another, you know, top 60 prospect. Alabama had the number one edge and the number three edge in the 2021 class. But Coat to me is more of a developmental guy, you know, very um, lean build, very twitched up athlete. Think he's going to end up being fantastic down the line if they will take the time to develop him and make sure that he, you know, gets where he needs to get as far as his body type and, and, you know, just overall understanding of the defense and all those things. I think that's going to pay off big time down the line. But for now, uh, he's one of those guys where you say, okay, I could easily see him being red-shirted, playing some snaps here or there late in games, getting some experience where you, you know, where you can. But outside of him, there's not a single guy on this list. You know, Key Robinson, I don't know exactly where he's at, but I know he's extremely talented as well. Um, but there's not many guys where I say, I, I can't see that guy getting snaps this year. But where do you find it? That's the only issue, uh, which is, like I said, a great problem to have. You can never have too many pass rushers. No doubt. And also it, it offers a chance for development too when you don't have to force someone into the lineup, which is, which is a great thing to have as a coach because they can take the time to learn. They can take the time to adjust things because there, is, there are going to be openings at some point. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's be, very true. Whether it be because of injuries, whether it be because of a guy going to the NFL, whether it be because a guy graduated or his, his eligibility is up, there's going to be openings. So you're going to need these guys at some point. And that's the biggest thing too is I think outside fans and groups and in, just whoever on the outside, when they see people transferring from Alabama, it's like, oh, you know, what's happening there? When you have this much depth, you're going to have some guys leave. You're right. naturally going to have some people go elsewhere because it's just so crowded. We're already seeing it, right? Yeah. Right. I, so it makes total sense. And I think that, again, it's a case-by-case basis, but guys transferring is going to happen, especially now that the transfer portal is what it is and you don't, you can have a year where you can play immediately and you can transfer within the conference. And, and so I think there's going to be guys that you're just going to see a few leave every year, but I don't think it's necessarily a cause for concern, but it's a case by case basis. Right. And the benefit we keep talking about how good Alabama's defense is going to be this year, which I do think they're going to be really, really good. Uh, I was actually asked last night how much, you know, how close did I think that this group was going to come to those pre Tua Tungvaloa types of defenses. And I think it's going to be as close as we're going to get. Um, do I think that they're, you know, we're ever going to go back to those 2016 and prior types of defenses where you can be dominant and you're allowing, you know, less than 10 points a game and, and 70 yards rushing and, you know, you're, you're leading the country in turnovers. Um, I just think that all, you know, having that kind of defense that's just that dominant across the board is extremely hard. Uh, but I do think that Alabama is going to have one of the best defenses in the country. I think it's going to probably be very comparable to maybe Georgia the last couple of years um, in the way that, you know, if you're going against those high-octane offenses, you know, like an LSU from a couple of years ago or Ohio State or Clemson or Ole Miss or whoever, I still think you're giving up points. I still think you're, you know, frustrating fans with, you know, not being able to get off the field in, you know, certain third-down situations. I continue to reiterate, 
you want your defense to be as good as possible for the sole purpose of, okay, we need to have an offense that is scoring at a high level, and we need to have the defense that is capable of making those couple of key stops that, that create the separation we need to win this football game. And I certainly think that Alabama is going to have one of the best, uh, you know, groups of those on the field this year. So, I'm, and the reason being, one of the big reasons is because of this group at, at outside linebacker. I think that you have plenty of guys on the interior who are capable of providing a, a complimentary interior pass rush. I think you're at your best when you can get, you know, that Christian Barmore, Quentin Williams type of, of pressure on passing downs from the interior try to get quarterbacks having to escape or having to worry about not being able to step up in the pocket. But then you also have the complimentary crashing off the edge. If you, you know, it, we didn't have, um, you know, as much knowledge or experience as far as seeing some of that stuff like a couple of years ago. Quentin Williams in the national championship, Alabama was, was dinged up a little bit outside linebacker. Clemson said, okay, you know, we're going to do things to take Quentin Williams out of the game plan. We're going to get Trevor Lawrence on the move. And Alabama didn't have the kind of horses that they needed on the edge to prevent that from happening. And so they were able to exploit that and, and kind of take Quentin Williams out of the game plan. You throw these two out there on the edge and you have even remotely a Quentin Williams type of present on the interior. Now it's extremely difficult to do. And, and I can't tell you who that guy's going to be. Is it going to be Justin Aboigby? Is it going to be, you know, Tim Smith? Is it going to be LeBron Ray? I don't know, but I know they have plenty of capable guys to provide a complimentary interior pass rush to go with what's going to be just an absolute dynamite, you know, duo out there on the exterior. We talk so much about pass rush for outside linebackers and, and interior guys too. And, and for good reason, because it's, it's a passing game and that's where a lot of the success happens for offenses. But I think what just kind of bring this full circle, what will Anderson and Chris Allen bring is, is not just a pass rush, but they really set the edge well. I mean, they're relentless on the edge so that they keep things inside. And, and anyone who has played defense knows how important contain is. And so that's a, there's a lot of value that doesn't show up on the stat sheet from those two in their ability to funnel things inside. Absolutely. And that's a great point. And that's what makes Alabama's defense this year, in my opinion, you know, as exciting as it is, is because – you don't have to worry about sacrificing anything by having your two starters out there. Um, you know, insert with certain guys, you say, okay, he's a pretty decent pass rusher, but he's out there because it's an early down. And if they run, he's a great edge setting defender. If you know, you got certain guys who are, if it's a third and four or third and five, you think they're throwing the football. He's a great pass rusher. You want him, you know, X guy to put pressure on the quarterback, but you worry, okay, if they choose to run, you know, he's very exploitable as far as his ability, his, you know, non-existent ability to set the edge. When you got guys like Will Anderson Jr. and Chris Fallon out there, you got guys who are going to be able to make impactful plays against the run or the pass. And that makes it extremely difficult to, uh, to exploit things that Alabama's doing <clears throat> defensively. And when you start getting into your nickel and dime package um, with those two guys as your edge players, you got, you know, a couple of uh, guys as far as the interior that are providing some decent pass rush, but all four of those guys up front are able to also stop the run. There's just, I mean, it's like I said, you got linebackers that can run behind them. You got a strong secondary with more depth this year. 
just it's a very you know strong unit as far as what they're going to be able to provide and the good part about it is is even if the offense takes a slight step back which it very well could there's it's loaded with talent but the defense is going to be ready to step up um, and be a lot better this year and get stops a lot more consistently this year at least I think they're going to and that certainly helps compensate a little bit for those offensive losses so any final thoughts on the outside linebacker before we wrap the uh, the old podcast up no I just other than, man, they're fun to watch already, and I think they're going to be fun to watch again this season. Absolutely, man. I completely agree. I appreciate you uh, taking some time and hopping on here with me. You know, I think I said last week that we're – you know, when I did the the um, the mailbag episode where I answered a few questions, said that we were going to try to get something out last week. Bottom line, through the offseason, me and you, you know, right now, I, I got a vacation next week. Now, granted, that doesn't mean that I won't be able to do a podcast. I'll certainly try to. But just you know, we get a very small window where there's not a ton going on. And so being able to to coordinate schedules and figure out when we're going to get pods out during the offseason is a little bit more difficult. It was way easier last year because of COVID. You know, no one had anything going on. No one was going on vacation. Yeah. yeah, everybody's at home. It's like, hey, you want to hop on and, and record a podcast? Like, yeah, like, sure, let's do it. I'm not doing anything else. Um, We're just going to maybe take a trip to my living room, but other than that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly – that's all it is. So um, it was a lot easier, you know, last off season, But – there could be some inconsistency and I want to let the listeners know that I probably shouldn't be saying, Hey, we're going to try to have a pot out, you know, uh, by this date next week throughout the off season, we're going to be getting positional breakdowns up for you guys. And, and that way you have that kind of stuff and covering any sort of major news that ends up happening. We'll do a recruiting update podcast at some point uh, and then start kind of hyping things up for the start of the season. But once, you know, we get back locked in probably in about a month or so, uh, that once, you know, fall camp gets underway and we start getting consistent news and stuff that we need to be getting out, we will be um, getting on a set schedule and, and we'll, you know, fans will be able to know, okay, on this day, I expect this pod on this day, I expect this pod. So certainly uh, stick around for that. Nick, I really appreciate you. I look forward to talking to you more uh, next week. We'll probably hop to the offensive side of the football and who knows what we'll get. We'll might, we might start off with the wide receivers or something. We'll talk about it, but um, uh, as always, I appreciate you, brother. Clint, it's been great to spend more time with you. Absolutely. This has been another episode of the Bama Beat Podcast. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.